0: Creating Sites of Belonging is a podcast produced to tell the stories of Summit Public School educators, young people, caregivers, and community members. In this space, we explore wellness, transformative justice, LGBTQI realities, black and indigenous experiences, and current events that challenge or promote a sense of belonging. I am your host, Miss Jewel, a womanist fairy director of Whole Child Wellness and Summit Public Schools.
1: I am your host, Talia Reyes, a young Filipino woman and your favorite style icon.
0: This space is is where where we all all expand expand together. Together. May May you learn new ways to create sites of belonging for yourself and community. community. Talk to you soon. Greetings, y'all. Welcome back, community. I'm so excited to get this episode started. I just wanted to give a brief overview of what we'll be exploring in these ongoing conversations. So, of course, we're starting off with our co-host, Talia, who is interviewing Naeem, one of our TAM students, and they're talking about wellness. They're exploring wellness, and I'm super excited for everyone to hear this. What's most important about this podcast is that young people's perspectives are centered and that we really start to shape our lives around the imagining of young people. And that's what I'm most excited about. So already get excited about Talia and Naeem. And then we'll be hearing from two educators, Courtney and Akbar. Courtney, I have an individual conversation with Courtney and we're exploring black girlhood and belonging right and me and brother akbar are exploring black boy belonging and intimacy and creating that space so they're two separate exciting conversations that allow for educators administrators and everyone who are facilitators of learning on the school sites to really be how they can be more intentional how you can be more creative in centering the voices of black students. So let's get into it, get excited. There's so much opportunity to imagine and to recreate. And that's where I'm gonna, that's what I hope we all explore in these episodes. So we'll get started with Talia. Tell us how you enjoy it at Bachelor at summitps.org.
1: Hello, everyone. I am your host, Talia Reyes, your favorite style icon. And I'm here with Naeem Musa with your wellness tip for today. Naeem, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, hey. Hey, guys, my name is Naeem. I uh, I go to Summit Tamil Pius at the moment. I'm a senior uh some things about me are uh i'm really entrepreneurial uh i've just loved business my whole life and right now i work at my family's restaurant and uh i plan to start my own podcast soon so this is exciting i'm happy for you, to tell you.
1: nice do you want to tell everyone um um what's the name of your family's restaurant so you, you can put them on
2: a oh, little plug real quick okay uh it's called kebab express uh if you live in the Bay Area, it's in Richmond, right across from the from the casino in Richmond. So, yeah, stop by and, and it, yeah, I'll hook you guys up.
1: Yeah, support the family business. Okay, so Naeem, how do you improve to your well being? Uh,
2: for my for my mental well being, uh, I I like to educate myself just on, like, just like the emotions that we all go through as humans so a podcast i listen to for that is called the it is called on purpose by jay shetty and he's a he's a pretty cool guy he just goes into details and he tells like stories on how to how to really get into with your emotions and and reflect on them and for my physical well-being I, i work out a lot and just and just and that also gives me a sense of community because. I definitely am more happy when I'm in a community of people who are bettering themselves in every way possible.
1: Yeah, of course. And do you have any advice for the people who can't, like, be around, like, a big community?
2: That's a good question. Uh, if I had to give advice to someone who couldn't be around a community that uplifts them, I would say uh you can go online nowadays and find that community online through the internet or if even or if you're like if you can't go online for whatever reason you could just make your make your community yourself you could be the leader of your community
1: yeah that's very that's very inspiring i love that so who or what inspires you the most
2: who or what inspires me? Uh, I would say what inspires me the most is a feeling. And the feeling is, it's, uh, it's similar to like joy, but it also has a sense of like contentness with the way things are right now. Like if I, I like every day, my goal is to just feel content with whatever happens and not feel any... Like, um, not really feeling super. Like sad over something. I don't know. Like just trying to live in the moment.
1: Yeah. What,
2: what drives me. Not
1: trying to dwell on something from the past that hurts you and just improve, get better. Yeah, exactly. Mm, I get that. Well, thank you. Um, that was very insightful. Yeah, of i didn't even ask you how you're feeling today how are you today by the way
2: uh i'm feeling pretty good woke up on the right side of the bed how about you two?
1: i'm doing very good thank you for thank you for doing this with me today this is very nice it's nice talking to you
2: yeah of course i'm I'm happy for you and your podcast i wish you i wish like you're gonna become the next big thing.
1: <laughs> thank you do you have yeah. any questions for me or for the audience?
2: Uh, do I have questions for you? What we'll made yeah. you want to start the podcast, please?
1: Oh, my God. That's such a crazy question. Honestly, Teacher Phoenix has sent me this, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Yeah, of course I want to do it. <laughs> and it just looked very interesting. So I was like, yeah, let's do
2: it. Uh, okay, that's cool.
1: Yeah. Do you have like an affirmation for people to practice so they could tell themselves in the mirror when they wake up in the morning or an affirmation that you say to yourself?
2: Uh, I'm trying to think of a quote I heard because there was one. Uh, oh, it's, it's not, as it's, I'm losing my, like it's not much of my time. What is it? It But the I, the meaning of it is like, if you if you're never like living, if you live in the future, you'll never enjoy the present. It wasn't exactly like that, but oh. but it was something along those lines. That's what the the point of the quote was.
1: Wow, I love that. No, I get that because like if we keep thinking about the future and how we're gonna be in the future, how we're gonna change the future, we'll never be able to change the present. You know.
2: Yeah, well, you're not going to be able to enjoy the journey. It's all about the journey, not about the, the angle. I think that is a good way to live life.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you.
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Thank you for coming. And this is your girl, Talia Reyes. You already know your favorite style icon
0: so glad to be doing this podcast with you the first time that I met you is the first time that I came to Sierra the school and um, our first experiences together were talking about how you created spaces for black girls and even though that wasn't your verbiage I noticed who was coming to you more often I noticed who was in the cheerleading squad I noticed who you were supporting, you know, when we were navigating that, um, some of those challenges at the school. So I really wanted to interview you because, well, one, this podcast talking about uh, creating sites of belonging, it's really important that we center the most marginalized. Yeah. And we've seen experiences of Black girls being brutalized in schools. And all of our hearts have been broken in that process because we either know we've seen it, it could have been us, or we literally could feel the energy of how that felt, of mm-hmm. being degraded in the process and dehumanized and you know that making national news. Yep. So I really wanna make space to talk about how you actually create space for Black girls and the spaces that you enable would never allow for things like that to happen. I mean, even your girls leading, you know, a very radical protest at the school says, you know, speak so much. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and just sharing a little about, you know, where you come from, where your people from, who are you?
3: Well, thank you, and thank you so much for having me. This is an honor to be on your podcast, so thank you. Um, (laughs) Again, my name is Courtney. I am originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I've been in the Seattle area for about two and a half years now. Mm. I moved here in June of 2019. So and it was very much a culture shock when I moved Mm. here. So I've had a lot of new experiences that I've had to find my way, you know, just find my own space before I could start to create space for others and just see Mm. where I fit in or where I can you know, be myself, my true self in this new city, this new state that I'm in. Um, But yeah, I have been an educator for about seven years. I started in um, a high school at, in Memphis called Whitehaven High School, where I was just a tutor slash college success coach. I was still in college myself, but we were hired by this company to come in alongside the teachers and tutor students in some of the core subjects that most Black students struggle in, because that was a majority Black school. Um, all the schools that we worked in were majority Black schools. In um, math, English, core subjects that they typically fall behind in because of the system that, we, that keep them behind. Mm. Um, so that's where I started. Then I started working at an elementary school in the heart of South Memphis, the one of the roughest neighborhoods in mm. Memphis. Mm. Um, and that's really where, like, my passion for education blossomed, because here I am with little bitty kids, like, five to ten years old, mm-hmm. and I worked with second graders mostly, and mm-hmm. just seeing how much we pour into them affects yeah. the people that they become in middle school and high school, like, that was just so eye-opening to me, and it, it made me think about my experiences in elementary school and who were my teachers because majority my mm-hmm. first black that I ever had was my second grade teacher so yeah that's a little bit about me I'm now at Summit Sierra High School mm-hmm. um, working with all grades I'm in LA so I teach health and fitness um, and student leadership um, so yeah that's a little bit about me and where I come from is there mm-hmm. anything I left out that you want me to? Oh no! <laughs> Listen,
0: I'm I'm here to do follow ups with you, so don't gotcha, gotcha. you worry. And feel free, an you know, book. to ask me any questions because we had you know many conversations. So the. The and I'm gonna note this that the additional intention of this podcast is to really create conversation and to share with people how to have challenging conversations. Mm-hmm. So even when young people are kind of come on like when your young people, Rania, and then we're gonna come on. I'm telling them like come with your questions, ask the audience, ask the teachers, you know, allow people to respond. So feel free to you know um, also ask questions, but I do. So when I got there, when I got to the school, of course, I, I don't know, my eyes make contact with Black people directly. I, You know, like, <laughs> right, where, are black people? And where are the Black people at? And I love that I do that um, because that's my sense of belonging, right? That's how I find belonging where I go. And so I found belonging in you and clearly a lot of other Black girls did. Because just when I'm trying to talk to you and get the tea on what's happening at the school and how I can support, you know, different girls keep coming up to you and either they're asking you personal things or they're asking you about cheerleader, but I'm interested in what helped build that relationship. We see, like I said, we've seen publicly how black girls have been shamed clearly people need to learn and know how to cultivate a space for black and brown mm-hmm. girls so what did what did that even look like you going to sierra of course you're black so but this is a different area you're mm-hmm. coming from memphis tennessee to washington seattle so what was that like for you cultivating a space for black and brown girls um
3: honestly it's Mostly just came from me being my 100% authentic self. I didn't try to fit into a box of what a professional teacher is supposed to look like. I just was myself. Is a professional
0: teacher? Tell me, tell me. Let's go. Uh, I,
3: don't know. I guess I already had my mindset of like just from being at previous schools of like how you should act and what to say and what not to say and. I was very careful that I didn't um, say something that would get me in trouble by my white superiors, I
2: guess.
3: Mm. Um, But then after a while, after I had some deep self-reflection with myself and I was like, me doing this job and doing what I'm supposed to be doing for these kids, that's professional. I don't need to dim down my light of who I am and all of my quirks and all of that. So I just was myself. And a lot of students were already excited mm. that I was a teacher at Summit Sierra, the Black students, especially because they were like, oh, we need more Black teachers here. I'm so happy you're here. Some of them were like filling me out, trying to see you know, <laughs> yes. if I was going to be mean, like literally one of my mentees, I gave him a... Um, Every time I get a a new mentee or when my mentees first started with me, because I had a new mentor group this year also, they started with uh, a different teacher who moved Mm -hmm. back to California. So I took on a 10th grade mentor group. And um, they were like, what are you, Uh, they asked me different questions about myself that I put on this little survey that they fill out. And one of the questions was like, are you mean? That was like, (laughs) mean, it's up to your interpretation. I hold you to a high expectation, especially Mm -hmm. Black students, because I know From what I have seen in the elementary schools I've taught in, black students are often coddled by white teachers because Mm -hmm. one, the white teachers don't really understand if this student is actually struggling, or if this student like struggling academically, or if they are having other things going on that like a a barrier for them. No question, I was my one hundred authentic percent percent self. Regardless of how I might be viewed by my coworkers, my bosses. When I first came to Summit Sierra, my um, executive director, a principal at the time, was actually also a black woman. Mm-hmm. But I instantly felt a connection with her. Um, I had already like formed a camaraderie with her before I started working at the school, so that made me even more comfortable
0: mm-hmm. coming into
3: the school and seeing how she led the students and the the interactions and relationships she had built with them, I was like, okay, I'll be all right here. Like, I got this bomb Black leader, like, she's putting me in leadership roles, left and right, because I told her what my goals were professionally, which is another thing that was awesome about being at Summit Sierra. At my previous schools, I would express my goals all the time and would never see any type of elevation or movement in my position uh, whereas here um, my principal immediately put me well my then principal we have a new one now but my then principal would immediately put me into the leadership roles and like challenge me in that way and it actually helped me grow so I mm-hmm. tend to do that with my students as well um, but as for the as for the girls that feel comfortable coming to me it's because I shared things about my life mm-hmm. you know not there's limitations. They don't know everything about me. Right. <laughs> they just know what they need to
1: know.
3: But if I see them going through a situation with their friends, I give them advice for when I was in high school and I dealt mm-hmm. with the same situation with my friends or a similar situation. And here's what I went through and what we what I did. And that made them feel a little more comfortable to share a little bit more and more about their life with me yeah. outside of school. Like a lot of the girls talk to me more than they talk to them mentors. Yeah. I'm
0: I'm proud of that. Well, Well, you know, somebody to talk to. Yeah. What I love about this is um, that someone created belonging for you to even come to the school,
3: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: and cultivated space for you to grow. So it was natural for you to give that. Mm -hmm. I am wondering though, what were your, what were your experiences as a Black girl? And were there people that made space for you in school?
3: Um, let me
0: think back
3: when I was in elementary school. No, I'm from Memphis, so majority of my schools were majority Black students. Um, mm. I went to and when I was in in grade school in Memphis, we had Memphis City Schools mm-hmm. and then Shelby County Schools, which mm-hmm. Shelby County technically is the entire city of Memphis, but but whatever reason they were separated into two different districts.
0: Sounds and like segregation.
3: Yep. And the Shelby County schools were seen as the more wealthier schools and we have more resources than Memphis mm-hmm. City schools and the Memphis City schools were seen as the hood schools. And um, like even my cousins, they started at Memphis City, Memphis City schools and they came to my school for like a year and they were excelling in Memphis City schools, like top of their class. Then they came to my school and they were failing. Mm-hmm. So, even that dynamic of like what was being taught at Memphis City Schools versus the rigor that was being taught at Shelby County Schools made um, my family, my friends who did not go to Shelby County Schools view me as like, oh, you you think you're better than everybody because you go to these, this rich school, even though we have private schools that I didn't go to, still public
0: schools, mm-hmm.
3: and we still, you know, it was free for anybody. Um, but even that like shaped my identity in a way of like, I never said I feel like I'm better than anybody or I feel like I'm, you know how people might say, oh, you're talking white if
0: you use mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
3: proper English or without, not even just proper English, but if you're able to code switch and speak with your friends a certain way, whereas when you're speaking with colleagues or classmates a different way with you know proper well quote unquote proper dialect mm-hmm. you know what is proper um I, like, I had my small circle of friends um a lot of my friends were in uh, like a lot of clubs that I was in so like NHS, beta club, NHS? Uh, national honor society
0: okay <laughs> yeah
3: yeah I was always striving to make good grades I made straight A's for majority of my my grade school career. My parents did not play with me about my grades. Like if I got a C average, that was not, that was not okay. Like I never, I don't even think I've made a C average until college, like sophomore year college. Like that's how my parents were like, you will do well, because they knew I could. So they pushed me to do well in all my classes. But yeah, so most of my friends were in National Honor Society or Beta Club. Um, I joined the cheer team. In 10th and 11th grade, the basketball cheer team, we had two cheer teams, another segregated name. Most of the white girls mm. were on the football cheer team, that was competitive, and they went to competitions, mm. whereas the basketball cheerleading team were mostly black girls, and we cheered at the basketball games, and we were not competitive, which I was fine with, because I didn't know how to tumble and all that anyway, so I didn't care. <laughs> but in, in that moment, I didn't realize like how segregated it was, and like how the... White cheerleaders were seen as superior to us because they competed in competitions and they knew how to flip and tumble and do all this stuff where the black girls, they just shared the basketball games and look cute on the sidelines. Mm. And that's what a lot of people viewed us as. But again, I was very oblivious to a lot of this because I was a teenager just enjoying, you know, my teenage okay. life at the time with no response. It wasn't until later that somebody was like, explaining what that was from the outside looking in. Um, I also had teachers, one counselor in particular, she wasn't even my counselor. We stayed with the same counselor, kind of like how mentors are at Summit Summit Schools, Mm -hmm. how they stay with you ninth through 12th grade. We had the same with guidance counselors. And we had one guidance counselor for the whole grade though. And they would stay with us for our whole high school. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had one counselor, Ms. Howard, who was not my counselor. I think she was like a grade below me's counselor actually, but somehow me and her got really close. Oh, not somehow, I was a guidance counselor, guidance office worker. So I was like in their office my senior year a lot because I didn't have, I finished all of my classes. So I had two study halls, so I would be a guidance office worker. And um, I got really close to Ms. Howard. She was a black woman. Um, and kind of like how I am with the girls here, I would just sit in her office and just tell her about my life or whatever. And she would tell me about hers and we just mm-hmm. chopping it up about whatever. And then I had a black biology teacher, Mr. Uh, coach Abraham. He was a basketball coach. Me and him, like I really valued our relationship because one, in the beginning of the school year, my two best friends were in my biology class with me. So naturally, we sat right next to each other. We were talking the whole period. And he was like, I got to separate y'all because y'all going to stress me out. He literally put us, one person right by his desk, the other person on the other side of the room, and then one in the middle way in the back. And we still found a way to talk to each other. So he was like, you know what? Clearly, it's not working y'all. Just let y'all do what you're going to do. Just make sure you do the work and pay attention when I'm talking. Cool. Then one time, we weren't friends anymore. like We weren't talking to each other. Or it was like two of us against one of one of our friends, you know, how high school.
0: friendships—some
3: mm-hmm. like Something small happens and then it's like one person is the outcast. So we were going through that and we were like not talking to each other in class. And he immediately noticed that when we were walking in the door and he was like, y'all talk in my class every day. Y'all mm-hmm. laughing and have joking every day. And now y'all not talking. I don't like it. And we was like, we thought you didn't want us to, <laughs> to <laughs> talk to your class. Now you mad that we're not talking to each other? He's, and he's
4: like, but like, I don't yeah, want
3: bad energy in my class. It. He's like, whatever mm. going on in our friendship, fix it. Mm. And I was in like ninth grade and I still remember that. So ever since that day, I was like, okay, he actually cares. And I, yeah. I wanted to be that teacher to kids, especially kids here in Seattle with all the the racial tension in the air after the Black, Black Lives Matter movement and, George Floyd, like all of this, especially here in Seattle, where it's like protests happening left and right. I wanted them to be able to feel safe and feel seen. And like, I try to make sure I know all of my students' names. I teach electives, so I have new students every semester. And I made it a point to make sure I know every student's names and know something about them, their family, if they got a sibling that goes here or something, because I want them to have that same connection that I had with my science teacher, mm. Coach Abraham and Ms. Hawthorne. I mean, Miss Howard. Cheer manager is another one. She was an alumni from Summit T. I think she graduated two years ago. And she helps me with these girls because she knows them even more personally than mm. I do. And I could tell that over, over time, she's gotten more comfortable with me, too, because she tells me all about her business and her life. Like I, <laughs> I tell these girls all the time, like, y'all just tell me stuff that I do not ask for. <laughs> y'all tell me all about your business, your relationships. And I'm here to listen to it, even though, like, I'm listening to make sure I don't need to report nothing, because, you know, that's legally my job. But, but no, I give them advice try to help out where I can. I don't want them to fall into the same pitfalls that I fell into as a a teenager or a young girl. Like I literally got to a point in my 20s where I just started to have self-love for myself and like Mm -hmm. not letting just anybody talk to me any kind of way and setting my boundaries. So I'm Mm -hmm. trying to teach them that now as opposed to later because-
0: Listen, (laughs) listen, when you- already know they got challenges in their life. (laughs) <laughs> listen listen you gotta hear the other episodes I did with Christina you'll hear that we oh, were talking yes. about self-care and black women so um, yes. my last question for you is for you to can first of all can you name what sites of belonging or wellness you have created for girls at the school black mm-hmm. or brown or irregardless and then what resources and tools do you need to either continue it or to advance what you're already doing
3: um i know that my room i'm one of the only teachers that stays in the same room all day like i don't transition to different classrooms so i i have literally like an open door policy if they want to come in here and talk to me about whatever Mm -hmm. my room is open come on in we can close the door and we can just have like a little counseling session if you want to like they've come to me in tears telling me about something that happened outside of school
0: Mm -hmm.
3: that with their boyfriend or whatever that they need advice on. But like, just knowing that they have me to come to, like even some of their mentors are like, Oh, such and such wants to come talk to you about this. And I'm like, okay, send them on over. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with my own mentees right now. I would never tell them, no, like you can always come in and talk to me about whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, that, and then I tried to, um, Make sure I go see things that they're involved in outside of school. I did that with my elementary school students who were involved in like dance and arts and stuff like that. I would make it a point to go to their shows and see them. Um, So yeah, that, because I know a lot of them have things going on outside of school that they are passionate about. And I want to, I actually do want to go see it and celebrate them and not just be all about school, 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 because that's not all our life is about. So I want to celebrate things that you have going on. Um, some resources I would like. Um, I know a lot abundantly,
0: of, abundance is here, okay? Abundance <laughs> is our birthright. So there are no limitations yes. and you just requesting to the universe what you need. Yeah, mm-hmm. um,
3: I know specifically for one of the girls on my cheer team, she, and a lot of other students, Black students specifically, who are adopted here in Seattle and have white parents mm. or parents of a whole other race or culture in general? I want to be able to know how to effectively pour into them without, mm. I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Without discrediting what their adoptive parents are teaching them or not teaching them. Mm. Um, so I don't want to step on any toes because yeah. I adopted them, but also I want them to know who they are and not be yeah. confused that you are still a Black woman or a Black young lady, even though you were raised by white parents who adopted you. Um, so, just resources on that um, and resources on how to not get myself too emotionally involved in, this- mm. in their life because I know I'm a very compassionate and caring person. Yeah. Like one of these girls, I literally like she tell me stuff about her parents. It's not bad, like things that I need to report bad, but it's like what they're telling her and teaching her. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I wish I could just adopt you myself. Cause that mm-hmm. but anyway, so just resources on how not to get myself too emotionally <laughs> involved yeah. with, while also not be completely distant from what they need from me and just finding, like, my own balance and boundaries yeah. with that. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of at the moment. I'm sure more will probably come as more situations arise. But, yeah.
0: The boundary thing is real, you know. It and, is. I told you, um, I just started
3: establishing them in my life.
0: So. Yeah, it's and it's really important as we, uh, it's, as we wrap up, it's really important that we name not only Black women and Black girls, black children maintaining their boundaries but it's also important that people who are listening who are not black who do not understand the black experience honor our boundaries and don't expect that we can do more just because historically there is a racist mentality that black people desire to work more or black people you know work as a form of living or a black person's worth is tied to their production. Uh-huh. Um, we're living proof that that is not true. And that's why it's important, not only that you maintain your boundaries, but that non-Black femmies everyone <laughs> knows that when people are enforcing their boundaries, it is an act of self-recovery. It is an uh-huh. act of self-care. It is an act of, you know, we talk about DEI. It is an act of equity upon the self. Mm -hmm. So um, as people are listening to this, thank you so much, Courtney Claxton, for creating Sites of Belonging for Black Girls and for all girls at your school. I hope you enjoyed that time we spent with Courtney Claxton learning and imagining and creating space for herself and for Black girls. And what I thought was so beautiful is her talking about Mrs. Howard And I think in this process, as I'm like co-creating the podcast with Talia and with with listeners, I think we all have a desire to be a Mrs. Howard to a student like Courtney. And I think we all, especially those of us who are continual educators, are Courtney's that desire to be like our teacher, Mrs. Howard and continue to create sites of belonging. So, I'm really reflecting on those moments. And in the show notes, you'll also find a couple um, books and recommended readings that are suggested, especially if you felt uncomfortable in this episode, if you felt like some of the conversation was too controversial or um, too racialized. I highly suggest that you read Push Out, The Criminalization of Black Girls and shapeshif- shapeshifters black girls choreography and citizenship both of these books really talk about how black girls are outliers of society and there are there's just a lot of policies and law that do not enable black girls and wellness so for those of us who continue to imagine and figure out what does it mean to enable space that allows black girls to be well. I offer you this episode, I offer you these readings, um, and I, I receive any feedback. As we move forward, we're going to be really exploring what it means to create intimacy and tenderness and vulnerability. What does it mean to create that space for black boys? Again, there is a lot of imagery that we've seen on television. There's a lot of stereotypes that folks have that many of us have um, interpreted as real. And in this episode with Akbar, we get to really give, we get more options of what it means to tend to Black boys and what it means to create learning spaces that are intimate and vulnerable and really allow them to be wrong and that allow them to mess up and that don't criminalize them or don't shame them, right? what does it mean to allow black boys to just be children and to hold that same standard for them of childhood because everyone is worthy of childhood and in childhood everyone knows your frontal lobe is not developed for a very long time so i'm excited about this up and coming episode i really hope you give your feedback to either the folks who have participated in these interviews because it took time out of their day, or just to the podcast because we would love to explore further topics as we're going into Women's History Month. And we're just going to be exploring a lot of topics. So I'm really grateful that I get to end my Black History Month with one of these episodes because there's one more to come. Oh my goodness. I am so, so grateful. Greetings, everyone. I am your host, Miss Jewel Womanist Fairy. I am here with Akbar Brooks, who works at one of our beautiful summit schools. So let me just give a short bio before I jump in. But I think people need to really know what type of brother we are introducing, you feel me? So Akbar has served the greater Seattle community through education and empowerment with Seattle Public Schools since 2005. During his time there, My brother Akbar was one of the founding members that helped to establish and launch My Brother's Keeper, which is an after-school mentoring program for young men of African descent. Shout out to Black Achievement, you know what I'm saying? All Black everything. Happy Black History Month, family. (laughs) But for the past two, or and for the past two years, he has joined the Summit Sierra team as a diverse learning specialist. Along with his daily drive to help students overcome academic learning barriers, Akbar has a passion to help young people of African descent to embrace their heritage within the dynamics of our diverse community. A self-identifying family man, Akbar Brooks continues to gain inspiration from his loving, loving wife and five amazing children. When I seen the number five, I was like, ooh, I got it's five a full
4: house. <laughs> I, I got, got five so
0: excited. It. Oh my goodness.
4: Yes, yes. I think we talked <sighs> about this earlier. It's just, you know, we have to, if we don't keep planting the seeds, you know, how can we grow what we want to see?
0: Well, actually, let's start there. And I don't want to gender all your children and assume that you have boys, but I'm going to take a leap and so you got
4: boys it's five i do okay. i do have boys i got three boys and then two girls
0: bet okay yeah. so to to help contextualize the conversation for the listeners Today, we are going to talk about what it it means to create Black intimacy, and particularly for boys in schools. And, you know, um, you could look at the research on it. Maybe one day I'll put it in the show notes. But there is so much research that says that Black boys are not succeeding in schools. And you know success by certain standards, so that's we're gonna put that on a separate conversation because I don't want to concede into the idea that Black boys are not succeeding. If you exist and if you are present, you are succeeding. Ashe, happy Black History Month. Um, but we're talking about the research, you know, in terms of academic achievement. Um, restorative justice models like the prison the school to prison pipeline and every time we're having these conversations in academic settings and social settings black boys are always the top of the conversation and in my experience as an educator for the past 10 plus years I've had to really, and as a Black woman, I've had to really create intentional space for Black boys to feel. And I've had to learn how to do that. I've had to you know, learn by watching how Black men, healthy, loving Black men engage with Black boys and so i was like i want to bring this conversation to this podcast we need to know publicly summit public schools and everybody beyond this you know listening party needs to know how we can further tend and nurture black boys in schools because they're there and i've been having such nurturing beautiful conversations with you which i'm so grateful for so i was like yeah we're going to bring it
4: let's get it (laughs) let's get it I love it I'm so excited
0: so you know with actually considering your with considering your three boys how have you been able what have been lessons that you have learned with nurturing boys and maybe what is a lesson that you didn't receive as a black boy that you are actually extending to your sons in this moment, and we'll loop this into school as the conversation continues?
4: Absolutely, that's such a powerful question. And you know, um, one of the things you know with all your children um, is that you know there is that that there is that propensity for them to for you to want to see yourself in them or your best self in them. And when you begin to have more than one, one son, one child, you begin to realize that no matter how much they're like you, they're still going to be different, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're all unique in their own ways. And so it's amazing um, with some of my, you know, one of my sons, he's a little more, he's, he's as intellectual as, as I am, but he's as sensitive as I am at the same time. Some of the, my other sons, they, they have the little more, the more toughness, you know, Uh the the tougher skin, the, you know, the go get it attitude. And so it's just amazing, um, reflecting back and, you know, um, I had a lot of uh, older brothers, Um, you know, my dad wasn't in my life, um, um, for a huge part of of my life, um, actually, Uh most of my life. And so, Uh because of that, um, you know, learning how to, like, deal with um, that the the sensitive um, aspect of myself, you know, when you talk about intimacy, I love it because it's like, um, you know, uh, in order to be creative, you know, oftentimes, you know, when you have high intellect and things like that, there is that that need for you know sensitivity uh, that 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 is mm-hmm. that is crucial for anything any gifts to to flow, and so with my sons, it's such a balance between trying to make sure i teach them how to be how to be tough because i know they're going to have to endure difficult spaces but then all, also teaching them how to you know it's okay to cry or it's win, mm-hmm. you know and that is that is a challenge you know um teaching them and so when you're talking about like safe spaces you know it's having those relationships that you can trust because oftentimes you don't have those trusted relationships. You know, it's it's hard to you know to to have that you know feel feel that safety to to be vulnerable to yeah. where you're able to grow healthily from the in, from the internal perspective.
0: Yeah.
4: And and so, um, and so, oftentimes, um, it's a learning thing. My children is such an amazing thing. It's a learning thing for me to 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 learn how to not be so when to be tough. And when to yes. when to be 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 tender, you know, as a man, because that is is so critical. It's so critical, and so, and so that, that that's that's a big element.
0: No, I I love this conversation because um, uh, first of all, I co-parent two black boys. I deeply, deeply love them, and. I've you know also been in education and I've had to continuously learn how to be tender with black boys. One of my biggest lessons in love is you know the 10 year relationship actually that I have with my young person. Um like I still go to his granny's house, sometimes I pick him up, you know, we still talk sometimes. But when i first started teaching i was so disconnected from being tender with him and it was the relationship that he allowed me to grow when he was seven and i was like too young uh (laughs) maybe like 23 24 you know him and his grandmother really allowed me to nurture that relationship and i was able to grow so much as an educate as an educator so honestly i owe so much to learning black boys to being like the educator I am. I give so much thanks. Um, But I think it's really important that we talk about parenting. One, because parents are listening. And parenting is not too separate from teaching. Now, it is different. Let me be very clear. There are some very clear different boundaries. But when I say parenting isn't different from teaching, I think one of the things that we want to see more of in parenting and in teaching when it comes to Black boys is being more tender with them, is allowing them more space to um, be more emotionally fluid, allowing them more space to uh, explore their femininity without shame, these, you know, and when I say femininity, I'm talking about the ability to surrender, to yield, to be calm, um, to flow. Right? I'm not talking about these arbitrary ideas of, you know, who wears what color. That's nobody's business. <laughs> but i I'm really interested in, like how do we have conversations with people. and i'm not I'm not saying how do we teach people, but how do we engage people in the importance that black boys must be nurtured when they are within, you know, our vicinity? We know what society is offering them. So what can we offer them in these tender moments? So I'm wondering with um, the spaces you have created previously at your at the previous school district to now, what are tender spaces you have created for Black boys? Because I think that there is something that we can all learn from
4: this. You know, um, and that's the thing, like, um, we're talking about one of the elements, you know, that I've learned, um, you know, working, you know, from then till now, um, particularly with our, with the absence, um, and let's be honest, you know, oftentimes, you know, many of our um, young Black men are in, you know, educational systems where they don't see a lot of us. And so right away, um, and, and then when you couple that with the fact that oftentimes many of our um, young men don't or may not have you know a father you know or a strong male um, role model in the home as well oftentimes that dynamic can be you know um it can be there, there can already be a built-up level of, of distrust mm-hmm. so one of the things you know that um from then till now like I would always strive to do is find a way to to find commonality and and and, and trust and so um you know I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, a, a former athlete and things like that, and so, you know, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not one. I celebrate, you know, our athletic and our and our ability, but at the same time, not trying to pigeonhole them into just being athletes, and we mm. want all of their brilliance to flow. Yeah. But the thing about those spaces is is really trying to find them where they are, and so we would use. Um, we would use those after-school spaces to connect with them on their sports, connect with them. Um, we would have a, um, a, a, a gaming, a video gaming, um, after school program as well. And so I would intentionally try to find them where their interests are. So then I can connect and, and then kind of develop that relationship with them. So that's not just, you know, the authoritarian, um, but ask, but also someone that they can trust. Because when they know that they can trust you, then they'll be more willing to respect your level of authority. When they know yeah. you care about them, they'll be more willing to, um, to trust you. And so, so with that, and 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 quite frankly, you know, oftentimes in schools there's not a lot of, of intentional space. And that was one of the things we was proud of, you know, um with the My Brothers Keeper. And then that also parlayed into the Kingmakers program program, um, creating intentional spaces where, you know, we can, you know, the dynamic of, and this is another thing with language, you know, how you talk at home versus how, you you know, with, with, with black people, you, you naturally have to, you know, be Uh, speak dual languages you know oftentimes the culture that you speak at home is not the same that you speak you know with 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 the population you know um you know in in America and so creating spaces where you're not offended by you know their their natural language but at the same time helping them to you know grow and develop in those areas as well so um, I love that you know what I mean so the after school Mm -hmm. programs you know oftentimes what I would do is I would try to be intentional about going to their games or whatever their interests are. I would try to go and meet them where they are. So that way they know like, yeah, you know, Mr. Brooks, you know, he really, he's checking on me. Like he really cares about, you know, what I do as a whole person. And so then that gives me the leverage now to begin to pour into them, empower them from an academic perspective, from an educational perspective, you know, just from a life perspective yeah. in general.
0: Thank you, thank you. Um, I want, when, when, my hope is that Black boys, my hope is that everyone listens to this podcast, but when Black boys listen to this podcast, I want them to find, um, not just advice, but a pathway, a tangible tool (laughs) to embrace themselves. There is a lot on social media. There is a lot through um, language. Uh, You just talked about cultural communication patterns. That's what I talk about it as. There's a lot through language. There's a lot through stereotypes that says how a Black boy should act and should present and should be. And so What advice would you give to yourself now, but to your Black boy, to that little tender 12 year old in you? What advice does your grown adult, five children, (laughs) married self have for that 12 year old little boy that wants to be all versions of himself, but doesn't always see all versions of himself represented? And if he does, you know, maybe that person is shamed. So what advice, yeah, do you give to Black boys who want to hold on to all of their tenderness and all of their, you know, all of the intricacies of intimacy, but then, you know, racism and patriarchy and these systems and oppression comes in what is that message or that tenderness you want to send them?
4: Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, I would say is, you know, number one, like, like there is no one, like, there's no one like you, like you are, your uniqueness is valuable. Your uniqueness is, 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 is worth its weight beyond gold. Like you're literally uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. And and so um there is strength you have something to bring even if you find yourself in spaces where you're the only one that looks like you or you're the only one like you that that is not a deficit your your value you know and and it's important to to begin to embrace you know where you come from embrace your heritage embrace who you are, and when you begin to realize that literally you come from kings, you come from royalty, you come from richness, um, these things will, will help us to, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in spaces where we look like everybody else. Sometimes we find ourselves in spaces where, we're, where we don't look like everybody else, but who you are individually is, is, is unique and is valuable. And, and particularly, Um, it's okay to cry, you know, you're, there is strength in your tears. And, and oftentimes, you know, as young men, sometimes, you know, like our sensitivity can be perceived as weakness, but really everything that, 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 that is great in the world literally requires your creativity, your brilliance, all of those things require a measure of sensitivity in in, in every facet. And so that sensitivity is is a key that unlocks your brilliance. It unlocks your strength. It unlocks your passion. You cannot be passionate about something if you're not sensitive towards something. And the passion is what drives you to be strong, to be motivated, to, to, to stand for something, to live for something. And to die for something. And so as young men, you know, embrace that, you know, um, and, and 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 realize that you the world rec- like 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 demands your greatness. And so it, it's important for you to, to embrace who you are.
0: I have to go on mute. Because I was up here yelling, okay? I'm like, thank you for connecting the pieces. The power of creativity requires you to go through the fluid emotions for you to even be able to, and it's not even about producing your best work because creativity doesn't always have to be about what you produce, but what you become, what you allow yourself to become.
4: Woo. This is a
0: love letter to black boys and they're becoming <laughs> oh my gosh I'm so I'm so entirely grateful so to close this out because I'm like I want just a little bit more all right um <laughs> let's, let's go I'm let's trying go. to interview the brother that's raising five kids okay like this is too good is there um is there a piece of advice an elder has given you that you want to extend to any and everyone um yeah extend that love letter to us please
2: let's see um i would say um
4: I I mean, I got so much, like, you know, like, flowing in me. Um, But how can I simplify? I would say, um, yeah, like, you know, one of the things, you know, that I learned, um, you know, from, you know, my elders um, is that um, I remember, um, like, I remember a time where, you know, like, there was there was some, like, I had, um, I was, you know, being challenged by, you know, some, some people um, we was arguing and, you know, and I knew like um, that what I was trying to convey, like I knew what it was, but at the time I I wasn't able to recall it the way I needed to. And, and, and I was like, man, I knew it, but you know, but I couldn't recall it. And they, and they was like um, it because it wasn't in you. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I knew it, I, I, but I just couldn't remember it. <laughs> and, and he was just like, no, what's in you is gonna come out. What's, it, what's in you is gonna come out. And so like, whatever it is, whatever you're, you're passionate about, whatever, um, you can only become like who you are and what, what's on the inside of you. And so, you know, whatever your passion is, whatever things that you're aspiring to do, you're not gonna be able to manifest that unless you fully like you fully digest it. Like it has to, whatever it is, whatever your passion, you have to fully embrace those things before you can fully express those things and fully manifest those things. So um, yeah, you know, and, and once again, you know, that come that that's a matter of the heart that, that there comes that, you know, that, that that the tenderness, the the you know, <laughs> like. we're we're like, like we're, we're like our strength comes from within, you know, our strength comes from within. Like our heart is like our most vital muscle. It's the thing that supplies everything you need is your heart. And so like the matters of the heart, like take care of your heart, you know, take care of your heart in order for you to have a strong heart. Your heart can't be hard. Your heart has to be very pliable, very tender. Very, so that way the blood can flow. So that way the things that your body needs, it's able to transmit those things. And so this is where you know, we have to really be intentional about the things that we, we take in, the environments that we put ourselves in, because all of those things are going to have a direct impact on the condition of our heart and the condition of our heart is going to literally dictate what we you know what we release into the world and so if we want to be great and we want to give greatness to the world we have to be around <laughs> We got we got to absorb greatness. If we want to be around positivity, we want to be around you know, uh, show love. We've got we've got to be around that. And so, um, yeah.
0: I was just writing. I was trying to get the notes. I was like <laughs> supporting the conditions of black boys' hearts. My goodness, what a labor of love we have received, people. We have <laughs> received such a true. Blessing from our colleague, our brother, our diverse learning specialist, Akbar Books. Thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for your investment in Black boys and children and love. Um, Yeah, and all we ask is that the listeners really receive this as a message to, to have more knowledge and tools on how to tend and nurture Black boys. Is there any lasting words you want to share,
4: uh, Jewel? I love you, and I, you know, I was, I pre, thank you for this, this space. I, I love it, um, and I'm just grateful. I'm just excited. I, I can, I wish we could talk for, for four hours. i um, just sharing, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know one of the things, particularly in, in educational spaces, um, you know, we really, and this go, you know, this goes, it, it, it goes from the top down. It's like. Um, one of the things you know that that frustrates me, quite frankly, is you know, oftentimes we can begin to talk about, we can put a lot of stock in um, a lot of language around you know, anti-racist, anti-biased, you know, non-discriminatory. We can put a lot of um, you know time around the language, but 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 we have to put the time in the actual substance. So if we're gonna talk the talk, we really have to walk the walk. And so, oftentimes, you know, as you know, a man, you know, uh, 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 that embraces his melanin, his his rich African heritage, um, and understands his, you know, all of the the traumas and, and the things that that we deal with, and we grow, and we have to, that we have to like live with, and we have to, you know, just embrace, you know, just to survive you know, when we get into spaces, you know, with people, and many of them that don't look like us, when we begin to talk about these things, it it, it really is a sensitive issue. And so, but we have to be, if we're gonna, if we're gonna keep it funky, we gotta be willing to keep it funky. And we gotta be willing to embrace uncomfortable conversation and uncomfortable truths that, and, 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 and listen, like, ask the professionals you know what i mean if you want to know how to play basketball ask a basketball player if you want to know how to fish ask a fisherman and if you want to know how to help change impact and properly nurture our black young men our black young women um ask the professionals and those are the people you know that proudly embrace who, who, who we are. And so um, this is not something that we had to go to school for. This is this is our life. So literally, I have 40 plus years of experience in this. And so this is where, it's only when you ask the professionals, can the things change. And so. Say that then. That's my say that then
0: (laughs) (laughs) this is how we are doing the dei work people at summit public schools coming from yours truly miss jewel woman is very director of whole child wellness thank you for entertaining us on creating sites of belonging where we all deserve a space to be seen and felt and heard and loved. (sighs) I invite you to invest in co-creating a space of belonging within your own spaces that you reside. As we transition out, may we all be reminded to go where we are well. We invite you to write us in at jbatchelor at summitps.org to share your feedback or wellness tips. Creating Sites of Belonging follows the voices of Summit educators, young people, and caregivers. Through this oral reference, we name ways to co-create belonging.